let's pretend that, that you are a non-believer. You're not a person of faith, you don't ascribe to Christianity, and yet I, I ask you to play a game of word association. And I say to you, my non-believing friend, tell me the first words that come to mind when I say Christian to you. And so you dive into a game of word association with me, and perhaps the first words that come to mind for you are Christianity is religion, Christianity is strict, uh, Christianity is Jesus, Christianity is closed-minded, Christianity is Republican. Any number of things could come to your mind. What comes to your mind when I say Christianity? Love. That's wonderful. You know, there's actually a modern way to play this game, and uh, it involves Google. If you want to see what everybody else associates with a particular word, all you got to do is open up Google, and you can type in something like Christianity is dot, 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 and Google will autofill the most common responses to that search, or the most common things people search for in relation to the words that you've typed in. So earlier this week, I actually did this. I, uh, I took a screenshot of it. We'll put that up on the screen. You probably can't read this, so I'll read this to you. So I just typed in Christianity is, and this was Google word association based on what other people search for. And so people wrote, Christianity is Jewish. Christianity is declining. Christianity is depressing. Uh, my favorite is Christianity is a charcuterie board. <laughs> Somebody had meat and cheese on their brain when they were searching Christianity. You know, Jesus has a very specific answer in mind to a game of word association about the Christian faith. When it comes to how Jesus wants this, this faith that he has initiated, this kingdom that he brings into the world, to be referenced and thought of, he has a very particular word in mind, as does Paul and Peter, who wrote much of the New Testament. I'll give you a clue. We just heard Jesus talk about it in John chapter 13. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The identifying characteristic of the Christian faith is supposed to be one word, love. The identifying characteristic of Christian people is supposed to be one word, love. The rest of the world, when they see us living out our faith, they may not share our faith, but they are supposed to describe the lives that we live in the name of our faith with one word, love. So why don't they? Why do they type every other thing into Google looking to find out about us? Why might your unbelieving friend list every other word when playing word association about us? Now, there are a lot of reasons as to why the, the world doesn't necessarily directly associate Christians with love. And, and it's not for lack of believing in love. I mean, Christians believe the heck out of love. If you spend any amount of time in the Christian church uh, what you come to know is that Jesus summarizes the whole of his teaching as love. And that in the New Testament, Paul is constantly commending God's people to live and walk in love. But don't just take my word for it. Take a listen to Jesus now from Matthew chapter 22. 
Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all of the law and all of the prophets. So Jesus says everything that's ever been taught comes down to loving God and loving others. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says this. You probably have these words read at your wedding if you're married. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So all of Christian teaching, all of Christian doctrine, all of the Christian values can be summarized with one word, love. Everything that Christ is about can be summarized with one word, love. So why is it that the rest of the world doesn't see and describe us with love? I want you to think of it like this. Christian doctrine and teaching and values are kind of like a skeleton. Uh, I have a skeleton, you have a skeleton. I'm not talking about the ones in my closet or yours. I'm talking about literally the bones inside of my body. Uh, you've got some and, and I've got some. And they're, they're vitally important. You know, the bones inside of me, the, the skeleton inside of me upholds me. It gives me structure and stability and everything else about me quite literally hangs on it. And yet, if the first thing you notice about me when you meet me are the bones inside of me, something's probably wrong with me, right? I'm either deeply malnourished and close to death, or I've rotted all my flesh away and I am long dead. Either way, it's not good. The same is true with faith. Our doctrine and our teaching our ethics and our values are unbelievably important. That's why we talk so much about faith, hope, love, grace alone, God's word alone. They uphold us. They give structure to us and stability to us. And everything else that we're about hangs off of these things. And very often when the world encounters the church, they hear us talk all about such things. They, talk, we, they hear us talk about all the things that we believe. We believe in grace. We believe in faith. We believe in hope. We believe in love. We do. And yet, like bones without flesh, if when they look at us, the first thing they notice is what we believe and what we teach Divorced from what we do, we will seem dead. If they look at us and they see doctrine, which is important, they see bones. Divorced from action, they will see and rightly assume someone who is either very sick or already long gone. You see, what we're called to do is not just have beliefs and things that we hold dear, but we are supposed to put flesh on the bones of our belief. And the flesh on the bones of our belief is not just saying that we believe that we are to be loving people, but to actually go out and do the hard work of being a loving person. And this is what irresistible churches understand. They understand that every church believes in love, 
just like everybody's got bones in their body. But an irresistible church seeks to put flesh on those beliefs, flesh on those bones, and do the hard work of figuring out what it means to live in love. And that is really hard. It's hard to discern what it means to love people and not just believe and think that you're supposed to love people. What I think it looks like for the church is this. I think it means that that followers of Jesus who are trying to put flesh on the bones of their belief and not just talk about love, which is the summary of all that we believe, but actually live in love, are walking around asking a handful of questions. Questions like this, and just fair warning, it's about to get real for some of us, all right? Questions like this. I believe that I love my son-in-law. I believe that I love my son-in-law who has politics that annoy me and who's always trying to start fights with me. I believe that I love him. But what will I do to demonstrate my love for him? I know, I think, I, I believe that, that I do, that I should love my coworker. My coworker who, who chews gum really loudly in the cubicle next to me and is always asking for help from me, I believe that I love her. But what will I do to demonstrate my love for her? I believe, I know that I love my, my, my sister in the faith who always sits down pew for me every single week but who this week seems kind of sad. I I believe that I love her. But what will I do to demonstrate my belief? What will I do to demonstrate my love for her? That's the kind of questions that we ask. And putting it into action is not easy, but that's where Jesus is such a good leader for us. Because he not only tells us, hey, you should ask that question and you should love the people around you and put flesh on the bones of your belief, but he he quite clearly tells us how. It's actually in the verse that we already read from John chapter 13. Let Let me look at it again. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. He could have put a period there, but he didn't. He now tells us how, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus doesn't just tell us that we should be asking such questions about the people around us and that we should be loving the people around us, that we should put flesh on the bones of our belief, but he tells us how. He says, love them the same way that I have loved you. Now, if you've grown up in the church, when you begin to reflect on how Jesus has loved us, Chances are, odds are, your, your mind instantly jumps to one moment and one action, the cross, which of course is, is, is the height and the culmination and the perfect picture of all love. But what's interesting to keep in mind is that in John chapter 13, when Jesus is saying this to his disciples and through his disciples to all of us, when Jesus is saying this to his disciples, he was still a couple chapters away from the cross. He was still a a, a few days away from being arrested and tried for crimes he didn't commit and then dying for the sins of the world and then rising from the grave to announce us as forgiven and set us free from death. That hadn't happened yet. 
And so when, when Peter, James, John, Philip, Nathaniel, Matthew, when, when they heard Jesus say, love others the way I have loved you, our minds jumped to the cross. Their minds couldn't have. They would have immediately started to have images populate their heart and mind from the previous three years spent living with Jesus and the day-to-day love that he offered them over the course of those three years. They would have thought about how he personally sought them out and chose them and invited them into following him. They would have thought about the countless times that, that he put up with their ignorance or their lack of understanding and he, he just bared with them. They would have thought about the numerous times where they made an egregious error as one of his disciples and he just forgave them. They would have thought about the number of times that he risked his life to teach them in a world that was hostile to them. That's what they would have thought of. That's what love looked like to them from Jesus. Speaking of word association, if I were to flip through the Gospels and look at how Jesus loved the disciples and and really how he loves all of us, here are the words that would come to mind as I try to illustrate Jesus' love through a simple game of word association. I would think of initiative, compassion, commitment, and cost. Jesus sought out the disciples and he sought out you. He didn't wait for them to come to him, he went to them. Jesus' heart, despite their hard-heartedness, Jesus' heart stayed soft towards them. He didn't grow bitter towards them, which is so easy to do, to grow bitter. Jesus stayed committed to them. Even though people like Peter would turn their back on him, Jesus was relentless in his commitment to them. And then every single expression of his love cost him something. At the very least, it cost him his time and his energy, but quite often it cost him his safety And ultimately, it cost him his life. This is what I think of when I think of how has Jesus loved them and how does Jesus love us? He initiates, he's compassionate, he's committed, and he embraces the cost. That's how he loves. And so the challenge to us then as we read these words is to love others in such a way perhaps that they might use the same words to describe us. That when they reflect on how Matt has loved them, that they might say, well, he reached out to me. He didn't wait for me to reach out to him. His heart remained soft towards me, even though I was difficult for him. He never gave up on me, even though there was good reason for him to. And he was always embracing the cost of what it took to love me well. That, that's, how, that's how he loved me. May, may people say that of you. May they say that of me. And I'm not just talking about your kids or your spouse or your best friend. I'm talking about everybody else. You see, you you can love your kids like this, and guess what? That just makes you a halfway decent parent. You you can love your, your husband like this. It makes you a spouse. You can love your best friend like this. It just makes you a best friend. Remember, we're talking about what the rest of the world says of us, though. When you love your coworker like this, though, when you you love your political adversary like this, when you you love your easily irritated next-door neighbor like this, 
when you love the poor like this, when you love your gay nephew like this, you're a Christian. At least according to Jesus. You initiate, you have compassion, you're committed, and it is costly. Now again, what what makes Jesus such a great leader is that he doesn't just bark orders at us and demand this from us. What makes Jesus such a great leader and such a great God for us to serve is that he draws this out of us by first giving this to us. You know, Jesus could just look at the world and say, hey, love everybody. I'm God, amen, take an offering. He could do that, but he doesn't. What does he do? Instead, he he enters into our world and he establishes this relationship and anything he asks of us, he first gives to us. And, and, And that's what all great leaders do, by the way, as an aside. They don't just stand upon the the pillar of their position and their authority and demand results, the really great leaders, I would argue, despite the pillar of their position and their authority, they establish a relationship and then they set an example and they inspire results. And that's why in the New Testament, you don't see Jesus' followers understanding this command to love other people, to put flesh on the bones of their belief that everything is ultimately about love. You don't see them bemoaning this or griping about this. You don't see them living it as if it's a have to. No, they see it as something that they get to do, to go out and live in love because they first received it from Jesus. And that's so important. Loving like Jesus When it's genuine, it flows from having received love from Jesus. It flows from having received love from Jesus. And so this morning, as I talk to you about loving other people, if if your stomach starts to turn into knots and, and your mind goes to really difficult places when you think about applying this to some of the difficult people in your life, My response to you is not to leverage my position and my authority and say, get over it, do it anyway. Even though I could. My response is this. If you find it difficult to love other people, to even attempt to live out this command, allow Jesus to first love you. And what I mean by that is, Confess your unloveliness to him. In, in prayer, confess it. To a, to a brother or a sister in the faith, like admit it. And then listen as God responds to you through his word, written in scriptures, or, or through the, the spirit-filled voice of that, that brother or sister in the faith as he responds to you and says that he loves you even though you're so unlovely that he loves you even though you are so unwilling and capable and so so hard-hearted in your offering of love. Listen as he constantly responds to you by saying, even though you are hard to love yourself and are resistant in offering love, as he says to you, that you are still the object of all his affection and love and every one of your sins is forgiven. 
However long you need to sit in that, rest in that, live in that, soak that up, do it. And then watch as it changes your heart and softens your heart to the people around you. Now, when it comes to like, practical application of this, loving the people around you that they might describe you as a person of love because of your faith, there's a ton of practical application in the New Testament. Uh, deep in the New Testament, particularly past the Gospels, you get the sense that the early church was really hungry to figure out what it meant, what it looked like practically to live a life of love for the world around them, to put flesh on the bones of their beliefs. And so you see this in particular with Paul, but also with, with some of the writers like, like Peter, you see, you see this key phrase that alerts you to instruction on how to love. So if you want to look through the New Testament and find instruction, practical instruction on what it means to put flesh on the bones of your belief and live out love, look for these two words, one another. One another. Anytime you see that, it is one of the New Testament writers trying to illustrate in really practical ways what it means to live in love. So for example, here's, here's just a short list from the New Testament that I compiled. Uh, some of these words are hard to read, but I'll walk through them for you. This is what love looks like. Submit to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Restore one another. Accept one another. Care for one another. Bear with one another. Carry one another. Not literally, that would be hard for your back, but like emotionally. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you, in the eye of your mind, to picture the person in the upcoming week who, for you, is going to be the most difficult person to show love to. If they're here, don't point at them. <laughs> picture the most difficult person to love. Like, see their face in your mind. You got it? For some of you, it was really easy, wasn't it? Now, with, with, their, with their face in your mind, look again at this list. Look at this list with their face in your mind and open your ears to hear this question that I asked at the beginning. Do you believe that you love them? I hope the answer is yes. What will you do to demonstrate your love for them? Do you need to forgive them? Do you need to encourage them? Do you need to care for them? Do you need to simply walk with them and be supportive to them? Do you need to swallow your pride and submit to them? What does it look like? It, it will not be easy to do. It will require you to take initiative. You, you'll have to keep your heart soft and, and don't get bitter. You'll have to stay committed to it because you'll want to give up on it the second you start it. And it will cost you. At the very least, your time and your energy, probably also your pride, and maybe even more but it will be worth it because that's what you're called to do. And when you do it, you will be a person who doesn't simply believe in love 
Every church believes in love. That's our skeleton. But if what our people see when they look at us is our bones and not our flesh, which is our works of love, we are dead. Don't be dead. Come alive and wrap your belief in love in action. What will it look like for you this week to change the narrative, the story, the descriptor, the words that are associated with people who follow a king who says it all comes down to love.